Welcome to The Dad Presents. Make sure you're following the show wherever you're listening. And wherever you are out in the world, spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Today we are going to be talking with Morgan Elliott. He's the director of Potty Town, which is a documentary about a quirky guy who has been battling with his local government corruption for decades. Eh... Matt, uh, I can see your shoulders. It kind of looks like you're not wearing a shirt. Yep. But Matt, you usually wear a black shirt. Yep. I don't know. Is your shirt dirty? Yep. So instead of wearing something else, you just wore no shirt. Yep. Are you wearing any pants? Mm, nope. Are you going to put on some pants for your interview? I don't know. Might be kind of hard for your guests to concentrate. Maybe. Yes, that is right. Hello, playboys and thirst traps. This is your boy, Jay Maddie in the morning. I am naked, and this is my wacky morning DJ voice. Pew, pew. <laughs> and I'm not wearing any clothes. Now. Before we get into the interview with our guest, I want to discuss with you guys an interesting Twitter exchange that I had this week that got a little run on Twitter. A follower accused me of not believing in democracy because I've questioned if we can truly believe our elections if we don't have people show ID in order to vote. So a couple of things in, the, in this debate we had on Twitter. Now, if you don't make people show ID to vote, and you have voting boxes all over town where anybody can take any ballot and drop it off, like a person like me who works at nursing homes or other congregate living areas can just grab as many ballots as we want to get our hands on, fill them out and drop them in a box. Well, then you can't guarantee the election is secure. You simply can't. But even if our elections are 100% secure, let's just accept that they are for a minute questioning the legitimacy of an election would come from somebody who does believe in democracy and wants to protect the process. Okay. That said, the person arguing with me on Twitter is correct. I don't believe in democracy. I think democracy is a little bit dumb, actually. It's better than a lot of alternatives, but it's not ideal. What do you mean, Matt? Well, look, democracy. Okay. This would be democracy. Let's say we have an election tomorrow in California and 51% of the population votes to reinstate slavery, ban all guns and make, uh, I don't know, turtle from entourage, the new governor of California. Well, just because 51% of the people voted for that doesn't mean I should have to live with the ridiculousness of what these idiots voted for. On a less ridiculous scale than that, I don't think my kids should be forced to wear masks to school next year or the, for the past two years, even if more than half the idiots in this state vote that they should. Likewise, I don't think your kids should be forced to remain a virgin until they're 18 if half your state is a bunch of conservative Catholics who think that they should. The truth is that nobody, nobody actually believes in democracy. Nobody really believes that whatever the majority votes on, that should be the rule of law. The left wants to force half of the country to live by a bunch of rules they determine, and the right wants to do the same. 
They, they both push for their own brand of authoritarian tyranny. Okay. It's not good. It's why the only thing that can actually work for a society long-term is liberty. Without liberty, government is just going to grow and grow and grow over time, gaining more and more power. One group of people get control of that power structure, and then they use that power structure to keep permanent power over the rest of us and rule however they want. We've seen that play out in world history over and over, and we've seen the behemoth that the United States federal government has become, and that's what we are dealing with today. Now, of course, you you might say, well, hey, you know, Matt, society, we need laws. We'd have we'd have chaos. We'd have complete chaos and anarchy in the streets. Yes, we need laws. You're correct. We need laws, but we don't need a federal government. One guy in Washington dictating these laws. Society needs laws to function. I recognize that. But we can centralize the rule of law as locally as possible. Break it down as look, break it down to states, break it down to cities, to towns, break it down to neighborhoods, make it as localized as possible. The federal government should exist as nothing more than a service to protect our borders from foreign threats. That's it. That's all they should do. We, we decided we're a country. Okay. If we're a country, we have borders. There's borders around the country. Federal government, your job is to protect those borders from foreign threats. And if they don't do that, if that's not their job, then they have no job and we should just abolish the whole thing. So the federal budget should be slashed by 98%, at least. Income tax, federal income tax should be slashed down to maybe 1% of your salary at most. Everything other than border enforcement of the nation should be handled on as local a a basis as is possible. And I, I know, I know you're going to say, well, well, Matt, what if, what if some neighborhood wants to legalize murder? Well, you know, that's probably not going to happen because it's highly doubtful that you're going to get the majority of people in a town or in a neighborhood to agree to that law, to vote for that law. You know, if we're going with local rule, let's say we have a neighborhood election, your government is your HOA, let's say. You're not going to get the people in your HOA to vote to legalize murder. But let's say that you do. Let's say that happens. Well, what's going to happen? I'm guessing the 99% of the homeowners are going to move out of there. Well, not 99%, because if if your neighborhood voted for it, that means 51% of the people wanted murder. So the other 49% would move out. They would lose tons of revenue. They would collapse. That is called the free market. And that is you exercising your opinions with your feet and your dollars. That's the free market at work. And it applies not only to the economy, it can apply to the rule of law. Okay, guys, moving on from that, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that next weekend, your boy, Jay Maddie, I'm going to be sharing a stage. Just this guy, this weirdo who is before you right now. I'm going to be on the stage with some important people, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCormick, and some other amazing doctors at the Gateway to Freedom Conference in St. Louis. It's for medical freedom. It's so important. Get some tickets. Come see us. And and you might ask, you know, there's so much going on in the world. Why is medical freedom important? Why do I even care? Why is liberty important? Why should we decentralize power away from the federal government? Why is this something you're always harping on? Well, if, if you listen to the show, I'm guessing you mostly agree with the things that, that we've put out about the nonsense with the COVID policy. 
So let's just look at the past two years and let's talk about medical freedom. The federal bureaucracy and Mr. True Science, Tony Fauci, the CDC, they made a bunch of foolish, regressive decisions about your liberty and your health and government agencies carried these recommendations out at the threat of you being locked up for not being compliant. And all this was done in the name of protecting you. What are some things that they did? They arrested a guy here in California for paddleboarding. He was paddleboarding. What could be less of a transmissive, uh, if we're talking about transmitting viruses, what could be less of a threat to society than some guy on his paddleboard by himself on the ocean? They arrested that guy. They put police tape around my kid's playground. There was no school for a year. Kids got dumb, y'all. They didn't go to school for a year. Children had to wear masks for two years in school, and thousands of kids now have developmental issues as a result of this. They shut down beaches, they shut down hiking trails, and now you're fat. They fired hundreds of thousands of people from jobs because people were refusing to take their experimental medicine. And then because of that, they printed trillions of dollars and caused massive record inflation in order to deal with the fact that the economy went to crap because they closed down businesses and they fired people from jobs for not getting the medicine. And after all of that, after all that, and I could go on and on and on listing one bad decision after another and the consequences that it had on society. After all of that, now, just like a week ago, the CDC is now saying that quarantines are not necessary. Social distancing is not necessary. And unvaccinated people are under the same guidelines as the vaccinated. What? COVID's not gone, man. What about everybody you fired for not getting the vaccine? Are you going to give those people their jobs back? You fired them for not getting this experimental medicine. And now you're saying it doesn't really matter. They have the same guidelines for them as for the rest of you. And what about it being a pandemic of the unvaccinated? You told me they were all going to die. You told us all, if you don't get it, you're going to die. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, and it's going to be a winter of death. So Joe Biden said, are they all dead? If they aren't dead, should we, I don't know, should we just, should we just, should we off them for our own safety? They got it all wrong. They got everything about COVID wrong. Yet you still want to trust this government, this CDC, these federal institutions to tell you what you can and cannot do. And and the the medical industrial complex has been getting it wrong our entire lives. They get a lot right. I don't want want to take away from doctors. I work in healthcare. There's some great doctors out there. There's some, some great medicine. There's some wonderful stuff, but they get a lot wrong also. And they should not be allowed to force unto us treatments, dictate unto us treatments. In the past few weeks, did you know we just learned that we know nothing about Alzheimer's disease, essentially? Pretty much all the research they've been doing for decades dates back to one study decades ago that was fabricated. It was fabricated. It produced faulty data, and they've been running with that data ever since studying the cause of Alzheimer's and how to correct it, all based on faulty data. Should we be forced 
to accept their treatments or should we be given all of the facts, be able to go see this doctor, be able to go see this doctor and listen to the doctors and decide what's best for us? You tell me. The food pyramid that government forced down our throats that we all learned in school, in grade school, that we should have four servings of grain a day and one serving of meat and veggies. That's what they taught us. Complete BS. They got it completely backwards. And that one was not done because they were misinformed. It was done because government had been corrupted by financial institutions who wanted to sell you more sugar and corn and grain. Those are facts. We know all of that. The sugar industry wanted to push out this idea that the corn industry wanted to push out this idea that you should have four servings to sell more of their product. Government has a lot of power, thus it becomes easily corruptible. They said eat margarine instead of butter. They told you that for a long time. Well, now we know margarine causes cancer and butter is actually pretty good for you. They used to give cigarettes to children to cure acne. My 12-year-old starting to get pimples. Can you imagine him going to a doctor now and that doctor giving him cigarettes to get rid of his pimples? They used to do that. Point being, they don't know everything. They just don't. We should be allowed to know what they know. Let them tell us what they know. Let us make up our mind about it and let us choose. Medical freedom has never been more important than it is right now because our freedoms are being stripped away. We are becoming slaves to the state. If you make the wrong medical choice right now, you lose your job and you literally become dependent on the state to feed your family. You need that. You need that state money. You need that state whammy pammy to pay the bills. That's what they want. They don't want you free. A free population is not good for the elites who rule over us. And look, man, they were wrong about so much. They're not the medical complex. They're not infallible. There's some brilliant people, but they are not infallible. And government is corruptible. And government will lock you up if you get in their way. They get it wrong over and over, yet they insist on shutting down opposition opinion. We saw what happened with Alex Berenson on Twitter. He fought, he fought, and he's going to be back on Twitter. And now he's going to be suing the Biden administration because we learned what? Once again, government is corruptible. Biden, influenced by the pharmacy companies, was giving direct messages to Twitter to shut that man down because he was not falling in line and he was bad for profits at the pharmacy companies. So they kicked them off. They're not infallible and they abuse power. That's exactly what they did to Galileo when he said the earth was not at the center of the universe, which it's not. But back then, that's what they believed. They believed it was, and the church shut them down for disagreeing. The church was able to corrupt government and government shut them down. We can't still be having that type of stuff in 2022 here in America. We need our liberty. So please fight for medical freedom. Come to St. Louis, see your boy. Now let's get into the show. <sighs> ExpressVPN.com slash the dad. Look guys, the FBI and NSA, they're tracking you, man. 
If you're a parent and you use the word liberty or patriot in your bio on Twitter or whatever, or you talk about it on Facebook, guess what? They're spending money to track your web activity. Last year alone, 4 million Americans were tracked. That data recently came out. 4 million Americans were spied on by the FBI, and they're not going after the lefties. So protect yourself and protect your family with a VPN blocker from expressvpn.com slash the dad. There's just no reason to not do this at this point. You get three free months. If you don't like it by the fourth month, you cancel. Cancel by month four, you never pay for it. So try it out, expressvpn.com slash the dad. Protect yourself, protect your privacy, protect your family. Our second sponsor is zstacklife.com slash the dad. Guys, COVID's still here. Still here. People aren't dying from it, but you don't want to get it. I had it. It's no fun. Flu season's coming back around. Get your body right and ready and healthy. Exercise eat right, and get all the vitamins you need for a strong immune system in one dose from Z-Stack Life, which was created by the great Dr. Zelenko, who was one of the first brave doctors to stand up and fight against the COVID regime. Go to zstacklife.com slash dad, get 15% off, get your body right. Let's get back into the show. All right, friends, uh, today we've got a show that's a little bit different than what we typically do here. We've got on the director of Potty Town. It's a documentary. Uh, the director is named Morgan Elliott. He's with us today. The documentary is zeroes in on the great toilet saga of Potsdam, New York. Uh, you can find it at pottytowndocumentary.com. It's a quirky story about a man named Hank Robar who has littered his properties with hundreds of toilets as a local government protest. Uh, some people find the toilets to be art. Some people think they're pretty offensive and it's become a bit of a tourist attraction and a hotbed of controversy in the area. Whatever you think about it, whatever you think about what this man is doing, it's a nice microcosm of property rights and principles of individualism versus community. So Morgan, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, this story is like, I, I, you kind of touched on it there, but it's, I think it's interesting in that we're a small town in upstate New York, but everybody that I've talked to that's out of the area can kind of relate to it because it's like you said, it has the property rights. It has first amendment rights, man versus government, all those yeah, sort of themes. So I think it's, it happens here. everywhere. Yeah, it, it, it does. And that, those are the kind of topics we, I, I, I had a show yesterday and I was telling the guests that this show started off as a parenting thing. Um, in 2019. And then when the lockdowns hit, we totally changed focus and it's become a show of how government invades our life. And this, this is a tiny example of that. And I, I thought it was great, a, a great way to show government corruption. Most people I assume are not familiar with the story. So could you give us like a brief synopsis of, of what the story is about? Sure. Yeah. So Hank Robar is, uh, he's an elderly gentleman in uh, upstate New York. He's a landlord. Uh, he wanted to sell his property to a Dunkin' Donuts for a significant amount of money, $600,000. Uh, and and account, that was $600,000 a long time ago, right? Like 30 years yeah, ago? Yeah, back in like 2001, I think. Um, and, and not to mention the this town that he lives in is known for having extremely high tax rates because like 70% of the town uh, property is non-taxable. It's like colleges, hospitals, um, churches, things like that. So uh, the taxes are high and he was looking to make a little money on his property that was vacant. And 
there's a conflict of interest on the on the board, the village trustee board that he felt was part of the reason why it was his zoning. Um, uh, the the zoning bid that he had was turned down. And so he started this sort of mild protest at first. Uh, he put out some corn. Uh, there was deer coming into the town, eating the corn, getting in the middle of traffic. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, people were thought it was funny. And uh, and then at some point along the way, he saw I think he saw somebody else who had done who had put a toilet out in their yard uh, to protest something. It, but it was just one. Uh, so and he was a landlord. He had toilets. Uh, he started sticking them out in his yard and uh, piss started pissing people off. And he kind of I think he kind of felt like once he saw how pissed off they were that, oh, I struck a chord here. And he kind of went from there, started putting out more. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the deer thing is funny. Didn't he also like litter the property with manure during that point? So it was like stinking up the neighbor's yard and the, the neighbor who had a conflict of interest, I believe her name was actually, I, I don't remember Helen or something Helen like that. Brower. Okay. I do remember. Yeah. Wow. Good job, Matt. Yeah, um, nice. yeah, she, um, she had a problem with it. She didn't want the property to be zoned for Dunkin' Donuts because she lived in the neighborhood and she, and she abused her power to, to prevent it. He also did like a sunflower garden, I think. Then he did something with ladies undergarments as a, a protest of what was going on with the zoning for Walmart. Like he had all kinds of crazy ideas before he settled on the toilets, which seemed to be the one that st- stuck, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the funny thing about a protest that, goes 20 years is that it's like inevitable that it's going to change over time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's it sort of like evolved into the strange phenomenon in town where like he was making social commentary on his property with like a sandbox turtle uh, that had something to do with the planned Walmart in the town that people didn't want there. And, and the women's undergarments were, was in response to uh, comments in the newspaper about Walmart, where would we buy our underwear? So he got, he started to get creative. And I think for a guy that was never really, um, super creative, uh, in terms of work throughout his life, like he, you know, he owned a gas station and all this stuff. He kind of found himself, uh, uh, with these creative juices flowing later in his life and enjoyed it. Uh, cause it, you know, even though it started as a protest, it definitely, evolved into more than that it would you know people ask is it art or is it junk but to him it's definitely art and to a lot of people in the community it is yeah yeah he just kind of seems like uh what was that show uh parks and rec the the grumpy libertarian on that show can't remember his name but just just a grumpy old man who wants to be left alone by the government um you mentioned the 70 percent tax in the town uh that creates an issue where people are going to have problem keeping their properties. So they're going to need to find creative ways to make money. Was he zoned in a, in a rent or a a tax free zone or was he being taxed? No, he was being taxed. Um, He was, his property there was a B2 zone. uh, So he could have put in like a doctor's office or something small, but in order to get the Duncan, it had to be B1, but no, the only, the really the only tax free properties are, the big ones are the colleges. There's two colleges in the town. And of course, I would say a majority of the village trustees at that time had some sort of tie to the colleges. Um, you know, even just now, uh, they just redid the lines on the roads in this town mm-hmm. uh, near one of the colleges, and they completely screwed everything up to 
make a, a, a designated turn in lane for the college. So it's like, you know, they kind of go out of their way sometimes, I think, yeah. to um, to bow down to whatever the college needs and, and they don't think of the other people in town. Yeah, it's 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 political and it, and it becomes at some point just vindictive. Like this guy's giving them trouble. They're going to give him more trouble. Like you, if, you, if you watch the documentary, you will see the map. He's surrounded by B1 zoning. B1 zoning is like, you know, there's a Taco Bell. Uh, there's, you know, all these things surrounding his property. And then here's this this toilet farm. I'm just wondering at this point, uh, why why do they still fight him and selling it? Is it now just to punish the man because everything else around it is commercial. Well, there's, there's a holdover. So like, there's a couple guys on the board now that were, were that were there back in Oh three, when this all started. So I, you know, I, I just think that they don't want to give in to him. Uh, they don't, they see it as like this long running battle that they're not going to give up on. Um, and you know, there's been newer members that have come on that I think are more open to the toilets, but once you get into that, um, that sort of inner circle, you know, it's easy to get, to have to go with the crowd, whatever, you know, the people at the top are saying. So, uh, it's just carried on for a really long time. And, and, you know, ever since the lawsuit was settled, I don't think, uh, I think they've left him alone a little bit more. Like he said that, he's supposed to fix the toilets within five days. If they're broken, that was part of the lawsuit settlement. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he said they had, there's been a few broken and they haven't said anything. So, yeah, I mean, when, you know, Hank, Hank, he's kind of kook, right. But he's not, he's a little bit of a weirdo, but he's not, this is not without a purpose. He's, he's doing this for a purpose. And when government gets involved on the local level, on the national level, on any level, people abuse power. People get into to powerful positions and then they abuse the power to their own benefit or to the benefit of their friends. Like this Helen lady abused it because she she didn't want the Dunkin' Donuts next to her house, which I can understand. I can I can relate to that. But she abused her power to make that happen. Then you have this other guy who's part of the old boys network in the town and he wants a Taco Bell across the street and they give it to him. Um, so why, you know, there's, there's a zillion things you could have made a movie about, uh, why did you connect to this? Why did you decide to make a, a story, a movie about this story? Well, honestly, I wasn't even sure that this was going to be a feature film when I started it. I was really honestly just curious, um, about the story. Cause I grew up in this area. Okay. Um, so I'm, a, I'm from like a town over from these guys and, you know, as a kid, cause I was probably when they went in, I was like maybe 12. Um, so you would drive through the town and you'd see the toilets and you're like, what the hell is this? And you kind of want to know the backstory. So um, obviously I've been doing film and video work in my career and um, and do, doing storytelling, asking questions. And uh, I worked with a guy that had covered the story in a newspaper. So I just I started talking to him about it. We sat down, we did an interview. And after three hours of that, I was like, I think there's more to this story than just toilets on the surface. And so I just kept digging from there. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot more to it. And I remember um, when, when your, your uh, production company approached me about this, it, it, I, I checked it out and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And it triggered to me. I remember this, it was on vice news years ago, this, this battle. And it, you know, it really is a microcosm of what we are seeing larger in society from the federal government and how it's hammering down 
on middle class folk. This guy's just a regular middle class guy. He's trying to get by. He's trying to pay the taxes, which are unfair, and they're killing him. So, what, in your opinion, you spent, I don't know how much time with this guy, but you know the story inside and out by now. What's the deal? Should a, gov- should a city government be able to tell a man whom he can sell his property to or what he can do with that property? Like, is it fair to them to, to not allow him to sell it to Dunkin' Donuts? And is it fair to them to tell him he's got to take these toilets down, in your opinion? My opinion is, um, you know, generally, I think people should be able to do what they want with their property within reason. I do think um, I would I would like to take like a common sense approach with it. Like, does it make sense? You look at Hank's case. There was uh, uh, five guys in a Chinese restaurant right next to that property. It wasn't like he's surrounded by residential. You're not sticking this in the middle of a bunch of houses in a, a neighborhood, you know, right. it's not like that. And so, it, but my big thing is like, if you're going to treat one person this way, you have to treat everybody this way. And that's not what happened in this story. It's um, and, and I don't know, you know, I don't think people individually on the board are bad people. I just think you get into a situation where you get a little power yep. and you're going to help yep. your friends out. And, and Hank felt slighted by that. And, um, and like you said, I don't necessarily blame somebody for not wanting the Dunkin' Donuts next to their property, but you have to have context and you have to, um, you have to, you know, later on they ended up, Helen Brower didn't want it in her neighborhood, but they took out a trailer park to put the Dunkin' Donuts in up the street. Yeah. So it's like those people didn't get a say, is that fair? Um, so that's kind of my stance on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you said it there, people, people abuse power and it doesn't make them bad people. It's just what power does when people get a little bit of power, what in any form they're going to use that power to make their own lives better. They're going to use that power to make the li- the lives better for their friends and the people they love power corrupts. That's just, that's just a fact. So you know, libertarians like myself, we want to break down the power structure to be as local as possible. Now here we're talking about something local, but when you have your own house, as long as you're not hurting anyone, I don't see why you can't do what you want with your property. Now we have these things called HOAs, homeowners associations, which I think are a nightmare, but if people in a community want to start one of those, then you can create rules that you want in your little neighborhood, but it shouldn't be up to, uh, people sitting on a board in a town, in my opinion, uh, to, to decide what you can do with your property. Um, if you're not hurting anybody, um, some people, there was one artist in the documentary who was very critical of Hank. Uh, but a lot of people find it to be artistic and arts, a quirky thing. Like what is art? What is not art? You know, yeah. you can show me a piece of art that costs a million dollars and I might not give you five cents for it. Cause I don't get it. Are these toilets art at this at this point um it's yeah you you said it it's a great question and i think that's part of like why the film is fun uh because the i really wanted the audience to decide that for themselves so i tried when i did it i tried not to let my own personal opinion come across in the film i just i actually let the community members talk about their ideas uh, of whether it's art or what kind of art and you hear like uh, it's folk art. It's folk art. He's taking things from his surroundings and he's using those. Um, it's Dada art, which I think probably for me is what it's closest to. Uh, um, I think 
it's an it's a anti art art movement. It's kind of uh, uh, anti establishment. It's uh, sticking it to the man, but it is still art. It's a form of expression. Uh, it's uh, it's I mean. I, I don't just I just don't see how you can look at the toilets and not think that it's some sort of art, especially if you uh, think protest itself can be a form of art. Um, and people obviously up here, people have responded to it. I think the majority of people up here uh, either like them or are kind of indifferent at this point. It's like become a part of the town. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um Art is, what is art? It's a form of expression. He is expressing his dissatisfaction with the local government. It's not a kind of art that I would pay money for or that I would want in my yard, but I would, I would call it art. He's expressing himself and he's definitely exercising his free speech. So if it's not protected under property rights, it should be protected under free speech laws. Um, now, another reason it's, it's interesting, not just talking about power structure in a town or in a, or in a nation something interesting that the libertarians or people who believe in liberty and freedom have to deal with on some level is where does my liberty end? And now I'm infringing upon someone else's liberty. Like for example, here in my neighborhood, I live in a, in a neighborhood. We're just surrounded by old people. We don't have an HOA, but we have young kids are very loud and it's everybody in this neighborhood is like 70 and older. And most of them don't have kids or people who have owned these houses for a very long time. Once a month, at least, I get a note on my door about your kids are too loud or the party you had last night was too loud or the music you play when you sit in your jacuzzi is too loud, stuff like this, right? So I I see it as it's my right to have a party, have my friends over or to have children over to play with my children. But at the same time, you know, we've all dealt with loud, annoying neighbors. At what point does your property rights and your freedom to do as you want. And, and now you're infringing upon your neighbor. Do you have an opinion on that? Um, yeah, I think, um, I guess my opinion is that I'm the type of person I would hope that, um, people are able to talk things out and communicate and maybe right. find some middle ground. It's like, like you said, you absolutely have the right to do that and they have the right to be upset. So maybe, you talk and say, well, we're only going to do this on Friday nights or something, you know, something like that. And I think with Hank's story, that's what was missing for me is like, I, and I asked people, did the village at no point think to sit him down over a cup of coffee and, and say, okay, maybe we screwed up. You haven't been innocent in this either. How do we figure this thing out? And, but it never happened. And then it goes, it becomes a $7 million lawsuit. So I think it's a breakdown of communication. We're human. We're meant to communicate with each other in communities. We're supposed to work together. So I think that's where I stand um, in terms of the toilets. I don't think, um, I don't, you know, they're not hurting anybody. And, you know, as much as people want to say it, words are not violence and art is not violence. Um, it's, not, it's not physically hurting anybody. You can choose not to look at it if you want to drive by, um, you know, nobody's forcing you to. So I think the toilets, he has a right to for sure. Now, is it when, you know, certain plots where he put in the toilets, some of the neighbors were really upset. Um, and maybe Hank could have talked to them and, and figured it out. He did end up selling that one property with the toilets when they were really upset. Um, so I think, 
you know, he's, he's semi, and he told me once that he has another property in Potsdam where he wanted to put the toilets, but he said, you know, it's those people, those neighbors, there was not, it's kind of a nicer neighborhood. He didn't feel like, you know, all the properties he had put toilets on before were properties where he had felt slighted for some reason or another. And that one he didn't. So he, he said he didn't put it in for that reason. So I think he's, you know, he tries to be fair about it. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, I, I definitely encourage you to go check out the film. What's, what's the website again? It's uh potty town documentary.com. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, if, if you don't, um, I found it interesting. I, first of all, I found it hilarious. This guy, he's right up my alley. I, I this guy, I want to have a beer with, but the, the toilets are pretty funny. Like you, you, you want to see this cause it's not like five or six toilets. There's hundreds of these things. And it's just wild. And it's wild. The, the reaction it's created in the, in the town. Now, I think you hit it there where you said, um, when, uh, per my question about neighbors, people need to communicate, but the problem, see, here's the problem. People are bad at communicating and they're cowards. Their people are cowards. They don't want confrontation. And it's some, it's something that social media has made every even worse because now you can attack anonymously. Now, what we're dealing with here at my house is, yeah, I would like to get together with these neighbors and talk, but these notes that come in once a month, they have no name on them. They're anonymous notes. They're, I don't know. They're coming in the middle of the night and taping them to the door. People are cowardly. Like, come talk to me. What is your problem? Let's work it out. Let's find a reasonable solution. People are just bad at that. Something else you just said that was interesting is you said art is not violence, which I agree with 99%. But at some point, some art would be uh, violence, like, for example, child porn, right? That would be violence. Or some people thought that, you know, when Kathy Griffin did that, holding up Donald Trump's head, bloody head, that is violence. I, I found it also to be a form of expression in art. But there is a line. Toilets is not it. But there is a line. What is that line? Yeah, I mean, I guess it it does go back to like what you consider art, like child pornography. I, you know, those people might say they consider it art, but I wouldn't consider that art. So I don't even know if I'd put it in that conversation. Um, the thing with, with Kathy Griffin, I could see too, but you know, that's a tough one. Cause it's inciting violence in a way you could argue that. I mean, I don't think it is personally, but, um, but it's not, actual violence. Um, so it's tough. I, I, I don't know where the line is. Um, like you said, I don't think toilets are the line. Um, but yeah, it's, and that's why, like, that's why you make films like this. Cause you want to raise questions. Um, you know, I've always kind of gone by the philosophy that you're not trying to answer anything when you do these things, but you're trying to ex- uh, explore the question fully. Um, so, you know, with the art we had, we talked about that and the, the first amendment rights and, and also how it was impacting the community. And, and to your point earlier, um, about people being cowards, um, I do agree. I think social media is a huge issue and might create more of these types of situations with the toilets, because when I was filming this, I tried to reach out to people on social media who were like very against the toilets. I would reach out, I'd message them. I'd say, Hey, you have an opinion. I would love to capture that on camera. And as soon as you talk about putting their face next to their opinion, they don't want to do it. So I do give a lot of credit to 
that the the woman who who is the artist in the film who does not agree with the toilets and does not like Hank and Ted Prawl, who was on the village planning board, they're very against the toilets, but I give them credit for speaking up and uh, and being on camera and expressing their opinion because a lot of people aren't willing to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cowardly. Um, you know, I, I talking about where you draw the line for art. I, I think back, I, I'm not positive, but I believe in the Larry Flint hustler case, they were trying to determine what is pornography um, versus what is art. And the judge said, I don't, I don't have a definition for it, but I know it when I see it. Right. Which is part of the problem. What there's no clear definition for what is art. I mean, art has a definition, but it's, it's too broad. There's no definitive definition for this is art. This is not, which leads to uh, gray areas and middle ground, which then requires some communication to figure it out. Right. Um, what about, uh, so I, I just, I thought of this right now, a way that some people might be getting harmed by the toilets. So we're talking about, it's not harming anybody. Property value of the neighbors, right? It's got to bring down the value of their property a little bit. When the guy who owns the lot next door has a thousand toilets in his backyard, I would think that harms the property value. Should they have any rights in that way? Cause that does bring harm on them. That's a good question. Um, so yes, the, um, one of the guys, John, in the film, uh, one of the neighbors, I think he spoke to that and he said, you know, we were asking questions and going to the village board and saying, you know, this isn't going to do our property values any good. And I didn't find this out until, unfortunately, after the film was already finished. But the village actually went and did a study to find out if this was, in fact, harming property values. And what they found was that property values actually went up um, near the really? toilets, which I wouldn't expect. And it's probably coincidence, but I, I do think it shows that it's not harming the property values. Um, it, it, you know, that's, that's rather shocking. I know it was, it, it was a newspaper article that I found um, afterwards. Um, Cause that would have been in the film if, if I had found it, but um, there was just so many articles and documents to go through. It must've slipped through the cracks at some point, but uh yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't think most, I don't think, I think there are some people that don't want to live next to those um, or wouldn't want to move into a house, but you know, I live next to, I have neighbors in my neighborhood where it's not toilets, but it's not nice looking some of the mm. things they have. And, right. you know, it's, I still bought the house and I yeah. control what I can control. Well, there you go right there. I, you just, you just, answered the question for me in my own mind because I'm questioning this as I'm asking the question. Neighbors do all kinds of things that change your property value. You don't have a right to tell them what to do because of your property. That's their property. This is your property. You got a shitty neighbor. That's a tough break. That's that's life, right? Yeah. Okay. So you spent all this time with Hank. Um, in your mind, in your personal opinion, I don't know, maybe you don't want to take a side, but is Hank a hero for liberty or is he just some entitled asshole or is it something in the middle? Yeah, I don't think it's black and white. I think there's, um, you know, people are complex and I'll say that I spent quite a bit of time with Hank and that he's a, he's a great guy. I like hanging out with him. He's funny. Uh, I call him like the 80 year old Dennis, the menace 
of pop stand. <laughs> like he's like running around, like hitting people's fences with a stick, you know, yeah. but, um, uh, you know, he's, he's fun spirited and he's never been, uh, he's never been somebody that's, uh, malicious in any way, really. Uh, like it, there was a story at one point, uh, the, the hardware store next to his house had a, uh, digital board and they put up on the board. We don't see art. We see tipped over toilets. So then all the journalists rush into Hank and they're like, what do you think about that? You know, are you, you're not going to shop there anymore. Right. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, I don't care. I'll still go there, whatever. Uh, and that's just kind of his laid back attitude that he has. So he's easygoing. And, uh, I think, he does like to instigate. He likes to push people's buttons and that's what he was doing here, but he enjoys the attention that it's gotten too. you know, like any artist, they make something and if people like it, you know, they're going to feel fulfilled. Yeah. Um, my impression is he's a, he's a man after my own heart. Like I, I love what he's doing. I I like pushing buttons as well as part of the, the reason I do the show. Um, people, people don't apply logic and then carry it through to the end point. And if you do that, if you, I believe if you, if you look at things logically and then take the next seven or eight steps, you will see that Liberty is the only pathway to a healthy, free, safe society, or at least the best pathway to it. Um, He is a stubborn guy. He's very stubborn. I, it didn't, the film didn't really get into his family situation. I can't imagine a guy like that is married. Is he, was he? Uh, I think he's had a few. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. um, he does have a long-term girlfriend though. Um, she didn't want to be in it. I asked her, but um, no, he, he's got kids and he's got grandkids and he's very involved with them. Um, I know I could share it with you. I could send it after, but there's a picture. Her, his daughter actually just sent me. They had a family reunion and they got Hank a toilet cake with flowers in it uh, to celebrate the film coming out. So, uh, no, he's nice. he's definitely a family guy and um, he's pretty chill. He doesn't he likes to go to the casino. He goes about three times a week and plays Mississippi stud. And, uh, and then he works on his toilets. He's semi retired. Yeah. Um- he, he definitely has his supporters. And what I, what I found really interesting is, you know, people like Hank, uh, people who are willing to take a stand, inspire others to do the same. Now you have other people in the town. Some guy's building a giant broken clock in his yard. Um, like he's in, he's inspired copycats. I found that to be very interesting. Yeah, me too. Me too. And that was, um, you know, important for me to highlight in the film is like Potsdam is a lot of things, but it is a very quirky town. It's a college town. And so you get a lot of, you know, there's professors, there's creatives there that are like quirky and like the woman who wrote the play, you know, she's like a a musical uh, theater director and she's quirky. And she actually ended up after I met her, uh, she did a, she acted in a music video that I made too. Uh, So that was kind of cool. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a town. um, The guy with the clock, uh, I don't think he would have done it uh, if he hadn't no. been inspired by Hank. And no. um, so it's just cool to see. It's, it's cool. The, it's a cool community. And I hope people go to visit the toilets and then see the rest of Potsdam too. Cause it really is, you know, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere up here. We're 20 minutes from the Canadian border, but it's an awesome little spot. Um, there's a lot going on with the students and um, you know, I tell people it's, 
it's a quaint Victorian village. It's a college town. It's potty town. It's rural America. It's all those things kind of like meshed into one spot. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like a cool town. I, I enjoyed the film because I, first of all, I like quirky things, but I, and it's definitely quirky, but I also enjoy things that uh, challenge you to think and challenge you to think about your own principles and the local nature of this debate made me challenge some of my ideas of Liberty a little bit, but um, I, I think I got through them. I think we're still good. Um, so tell people again where they can find the film, all that stuff. And uh, what's next for you after this? Yeah, so uh, it's available on Amazon Prime, iTunes, uh, you know, like any video on demand, pretty much YouTube rental and buy. Um, and we're hoping at some point it gets picked up by some subscription streamers. Um, and then also you can go to our website, pottytowndocumentary.com. We have all the links at the bottom. It's super easy to find. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I have some projects lined up, very preliminary documentaries that I'm planning on directing, just kind of in the research phase. I've shot, I've shot some stuff. And then I'm also working with uh, CJ Wallace. Uh, if you've seen uh, the perfect bid, that price is right documentary on Netflix, he did that. Um, okay. So he's, he's got a tech mobile uh, documentary coming out and one about Jim McMahon. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm shooting a lot of stuff for him, uh, over the next little bit. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I can tell him talking to you, you know, you're, you're trying not to choose a side, which is what, you know, the impartial view, any person presenting a story should do, but I can tell you're a guy who embraces the idea of Liberty. Part of the problem we have out here in California and Hollywood is Hollywood is controlled by a bunch of leftist lunatics who don't believe in liberty at all. So we need more people like you making films and documentaries and TV shows for people to consume to start winning some hearts and minds. So I appreciate you. I appreciate this film you're making. I encourage people to check it out. I'll watch the next thing you do. Morgan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, man. It's a pleasure. That's the plan. We're going to make more. Right on. Right on.